You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit stonegate-church.com. In 1725, there was a guy born to a Puritan mother. His father was also a stern sea captain. This guy would be introduced into the slave trade world at an early age. It is said about this guy that his willful and wanton disregard for all that was right and holy would lead him to a life plagued with alcohol, depression, despair, dangers at sea, and abuse. This same guy, if you read history, he was known as a drunk. That at certain times when he would drink on stage, that he would uh, uh, be drunk, uh, on the ship that his crew would have little regard for him and even at times call him an animal. There was one point where he got so drunk on his ship that he fell overboard. And despite of sending him a boat, they threw at him a harpoon. hoping to kill the wicked captain. This guy was not only a drunkard, he despised the black race. Again, he was, he was in, in a very money-making machine of slave trading. So he would go and he would get slaves, blacks, and he would bring them over at the bottom of his ship, it, was said, it is said of him in this journal that he seemed oblivious to the plight of the poor black souls chained and left to die due to him starving and dehydrating them at the hold of his ship. He, this guy was a drunkard. This guy, he despised black souls. This guy also faced death often. It is said that he was involved in some 30 to 35 uh, storms at sea. And every so often in one of these storms, he would, uh, 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 he would, he, he, he would live through it and while actually in the storm would ask God, say, God, if you get me out of this storm, I promise you I would give my life to you. Well, God would get him over, get him out, get him to sea, or uh, get him to land, and he would go back on his word often. But there was one time in particular where this gale, this storm was so violent that it's written in his journal, God, it's written that he says, Lord, have mercy and be gracious to me. For if I finally reach the port, 
I will get things right with you. That this one storm and this one gale, that, 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 that this guy would come to know God. He would come to realize four things about God. One, that he himself, before God, was a sinner. Two, that he himself could not save himself. Three, that he would recognize that only Christ and Christ's work could save him from his sin. And three, he must accept what Christ has done to become a son and or a child of God. After years of running and searching for God, it is said that John Newton would surrender his life to Christ. Y'all know John Newton. He was a guy that would become an, 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 an ordained minister that would write several songs in his parish. But one song in particular he wrote and composed in, 19, in 1777 was the song Amazing Grace. Today this song is sang in every Olympics when the president is accepted, we sing the song. You go to a small, from the small church to the mega church. Amazing grace is heard. A man who was a drunkard, a man who despised black souls, a man who faced death often, was overwhelmed. By God's grace. Grace in John Newton life. One. If I could be in this and just carve out some time for you before I get into today's text, I want to define and or describe in a sense how one author has defined and or described grace. It should be on the screen for you to read. It says, grace is love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. Grace is love coming at you that has nothing to do with you. Grace is being loved when you are unlovable. This cliche definition of grace that it is unconditional love, man, it is a true cliche, for it is good, for it is a good description of the thing. Grace is a love that has nothing to do with you, the beloved. It has everything and only to do with the lover. Grace is irrational in the sense that it has nothing to do with the weights and measures. It has nothing to do with what with my intrinsic qualities or so-called gifts, whatever they might be. It reflects a decision of the part of the giver, the one who loves in relation to the receiver, the one who is, who is loved, that negates any qualifications the receiver may personally hold. Grace is one way 
love. If I can be clear for a moment, when it comes to grace, it never demands. It just gives. From where I stand, it always gives to the wrong person. Grace. Wonderful grace. Today, if you call Jesus Christ Lord, Master, Elder, Brother, Savior, it's not because of you. It is because of a work that God has done in your heart to recognize the one who came full of grace and truth. Just as grace, we see it won in John Newton's life. We're going to see today how it's going to win in Paul's life. In the book of 1 Timothy, we're going to be, uh, 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 it's a book written to a young pastor and how he is to set things and how he is to run things in, in the church. But in this book, in this book to Timothy, Paul, he, he, he takes a portion of this letter and he inserts his testimony to Timothy. This testimony, it is to highlight God's grace and how it manifests in two ways. We're going to see how God's grace, how it actually manifests in salvation, secondly. But first, we're going to see how God's grace manifests itself in service. So grace, seen two ways. And then we're going to see what is the result, what should be the result of this, of this manifestation of grace that we see in today's text. So God's grace in Paul's service. Turn with me, and let's look at uh, uh, verses 12 through 14 uh, uh, now. Uh, it says in verse 12, it says, uh, I thank him who has given me strength. That is Christ Jesus our Lord. Because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. You notice here in this first portion of verse 12, Paul says, and I thank him who has given me strength. Now, what you, now what you don't see is this. There's, there's something happening. That there is this giving of, of strength that the Lord is doing in, in Paul's life. So as, so as Christ is giving Paul's strength, that it's, it's, it's not Paul doing anything to get it. It's Christ himself giving Paul the strength. So Paul is saying, man, I, I recognize that he had put me in service now, but in this service, he's giving me, he is giving me strength to serve. So because my strength is not coming from man or from myself, it's coming from God, Paul is found thanking God often. Because it's, it's hard to serve people in your own strength. 
But when, but when you embrace your, your weaknesses and you turn to God through Christ from sin, somehow, someway, this is a way that God gives you strength to do what he's called you to do. When it comes to serving, we're never, we're never supposed to do it in of our own strength. It is something that God is doing to us in Jesus. That's what God is doing. But Paul says he's doing this because of what he's done. Well, Paul, what has Christ done? The latter part of verse 12. Because he, Christ, judged, that is, counted and ordained me, Paul, faithful, trustworthy, appointing me, that is, placing me and putting me into his service. Paul says, man, listen, listen, he's, he's doing all of this. He's, he's giving me strength because he's put me in service. That God himself deemed, deemed me trustworthy to serve in his service. Now, it's important because Paul says, here's what God is doing. Here's, why, here's what God did that is causing his doing. But you got to understand what I was doing when he did this. Verse, 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 verse 13. He says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. Here Paul describes the kind of man who, that he was and how he was amazed that Christ would even commission him to his service. If you read the book of, if, if you read the book of Acts, man, what you would see is this guy named Saul. Saul is this guy that you see before 10 when he comes Paul. In, in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, what you find of Saul of Tarsus is that he's the one holding, holding the cloak of, of, of Stephen or Stephen, the one who's been stoned for, for declaring Christ. If you read on further in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it says that it was, it was Saul then Tarsus who was dragging out men and women, even kids, those who followed the way. Paul, in his way, was dragging them to be killed, dragging them to be imprisoned. It also says in Acts chapter 9 that Paul was, he was trying to destroy the church of God. Persecutor, blasphemer. He says he was an insolent opponent. Paul was an enemy of God. But he goes on in verse 13 and he states why, 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 God, why God did verse 12. He says, he being Christ had mercy. He, he had received mercy because Paul said, I acted in a way that was ignorant and it was due to my unbelief. He says, but in verse 14, he says, 
And the grace of our Lord, it overflowed, it abounded for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. After all that I had done prior to knowing him, he says, man, because of God's grace and me understanding God's, God's grace, his, his, his grace abounded over me. That you take all of my past, all of my mishaps, all of my sins, and God's grace topped that. It overflowed that, that, that God's grace, it actually, in a sense, wiped away all my faults and past. It, 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 he dealt with all my sins. And then when I started coming up with this sin and that sin and that sin, and God's grace would outdo it. His grace overflowed. His grace abounded. Can I ask you a question? Do you know that about God's grace as an unbeliever or a believer? That there's nothing that we can do that can outsend, outdo, outlavish God's grace. And in that grace, what we find is, what we find and see is God giving us faith not only to love him, but also to love people. Paul says, his grace came abounding. It came full. And then and it, and it, it blew my mind. I said earlier that man, when it comes to this idea of grace, grace is being loved when you, when you are unlovable. It, is all, it, it always gives to the wrong person and it always wins. Paul is the wrong person. But grace. You may think you are the wrong recipient of it. But Paul says, I'm worse than any cat, anybody in here. If God's grace can reach me, God's grace can reach you. Which leads to my next point, that we see God's, God's grace for Paul now in salvation. And we see this in verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ, man, 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 that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, of whom I am the foremost. My dude, King James says, I am chief sinner. Those nine words in the middle of this verse encapsulates what is the gospel. Number one, God coming. It's amazing to me how many saints today don't become overwhelmed in the fact that God put on human flesh and dwelled among us. It is so crazy that most religions will call you crazy that we actually believe that God came in the flesh. Now, 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 I know that's 
because we're used to hearing it over and over again, our hearts affectionate, they are no longer stirred for the fact that God put on human, human flesh to save us. That's a big thing. May not be in your life, but man, when I'm sitting here and I'm reading, and whenever I hear about, or when I see about this, this central teaching, this central doctrine that we as Christians believe, it should do something to our souls. The incarnation. Think about it. Every other miracle either prepares, exhibits, or is the result of this. Every other miracle in Christendom from the incarnation either exhibits, prepares, or is the result from God coming in human flesh. In his book, Miracles, C.S. Lewis uh, has this to say about this, 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 this uh, teaching. He says, in the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights of the absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down to the very roots and seabed of nature. He, God, has created. But he goes down to come up again and to bring the ruined world up with him. <laughs> One has the picture of a strong man stooping lower and lower to get himself underneath some great complicated burden. He must stoop in order to lift. He must almost disappear under the whole mass swing on his shoulders. Jesus came down to earth, lived a perfect life, then went under it just to raise above it, meaning he came, he lived, he died, and got up again with death and victory in his hands. And for a Christian, that should be good news because he got up, Paul says, to ensure the salvation of us all. Had Christ stayed, our salvation would not be secure. Has, if Christ had stayed, there would be no future for us to really hope in. If he stayed in the ground like every good man, our faith would be fruitless. He came down, lived a perfect life, got up again, and those who believe the same happens to each. You garner this new life, and now you hope in a resurrection to come. You see, this is good news for people who were born and shaped into sin. We were born not wanting anything to do with God. 
running away from God, throwing up our fists at God, and God in his grace broke through our hard-heartedness and said, and called himself, and called us to himself first, and then into service. Look what, what, Paul, what God did with Paul, he did with us. He took his enemy and enlisted him into his army. What grace to take us who were his enemies and then in turn in grace to enlist us into his army to advance his kingdom to the good to all of his creation to the glory of God. We see that Paul, we see God's grace, God's grace in, in, in Paul's service. We see God's grace in and, and Paul's salvation, this grace that Paul said, it abounded. We see the gospel defined even in nine words in verse 15. But the question is, why? Why did God do all of this? Look with me at verse 16. He says, but I received the mercy for this reason. That is, that in me as the foremost, that is the worst, the worst of the worst, the the scum, the, the low life, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who believe in him for eternal life. Why did God save Paul? For Paul to be an example that if God can save Paul, then God can save you. It was to display his faultless, his perfect, his whole, his complete patience towards you. Quick story. There's this professor, and he's an atheist. He's in school. Let's say he's at, let's say he's at AM. Now Baylor. I now tech. Let's say he's at some school and he's after and he's in his class and he's He's, and he knows that in the class there are people who actually believe in Christ. And what this guy wants to do is to prove that God's patience is faulty, not faultless. He bends at his watch and he says, this God, this God that you guys serve, I'm going to give him five minutes to drop me dead. Yeah, the guy, he was nervous at first. Shaking in it. Oh, man. But then when it got closer to one minute, oh, okay, okay. All right, maybe God ain't got, okay. Then he got real cocky. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six. Then he started talking in Spanish. Threads, dudes, and unos. <laughs> Told you guys that your God was not real. A student from in the class came behind. I said, Prof, my God told me to come and tell you something, that you cannot exhaust his perfect patience in five minutes. But you can't find fault in my God's perfect patience in five minutes. Are you crazy? As I think about the story, I think about how many times we, like the professor, find fault in God's patience. That we start giving God reasons on why, not them, but why you, you, you shouldn't have saved me. 
I mean, to make this more personal, let me invite you into my life for about three or four minutes. God, he saved me in April of 1999. He saved me. At the same time, he put me in service in federal prison in Nashville in April of 1999. And I recall that when he saved me, he said, man, I'm, I'm going to make you a preacher. I said, man, now, now God, you know I got an issue with pride. Me? You know I love the limelight. That's my thing. I know, but I'm going to use you. You're going, to, you're going to make much of me in a world that needs to know me. So I, I started giving God, God, but you know, man, you know, I got some serious weaknesses. And he said, I know my grace is sufficient. Well, I began to help God out. God, should I just remind you of some? Let me just, let me just remind you of, of some. God, you know that my last name is Valentine. But my dad's name is not Valentine because I was brought forth in an adulterous relationship that my mom and dad hooked up and then bam came me. Now, you know I was, my, 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 my birth is not all that, that pretty. So yeah, I know. I said, God, 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 did you forget how my mom dated men who physically abused me to the point to where I had to be put into CPS or taken by CPS because she allowed men to abuse me. In one instance, a man would set me on a stove as a form of discipline. God, you, you know that, don't you? God, God, you know I'm, I'm, I'm that guy that, 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 that started having relations in the third grade, had my son by the age of 16. You know, I'm, the, I'm that, I'm that. You know, I, I'm that same cat that left high school and started selling narcotics at 15 just to make it. You, 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 God, you know that's, God, I'm that same guy that because Guys thought I was snitching. I joined the military, got out the military, and started back selling narcotics. And from that, went to jail five to six times. Two stints in prison. I'm a two-time felon. You know that about me. God, are you sure you want to call me to the ministry? And not just, now I'm good with you just calling me to you, but now you're calling me to ministry. Are you sure you want to God do that? Are you sure? God, I'm, I'm, I'm that guy that out of the men that my mom was dating, one of the guys happened to be white, and I learned, at, I learned in the third grade I was a racist young black man who despised this white man dropping me off in front of a, of a, a school so that people could talk about me. And because this man loved me so much, despite my foolishness, he would drop me off down the road just so I could walk so the people at school would not talk about me. God, oh, you know that about me, don't you? God, your, 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 your patience is faulty. 
Because you can't use me. God, you know all this about me. How I used to how I tricked and deceived my wife into marrying me and how even in that, how I controlled her and different things to get what I wanted at the expense of her emotions and sometimes it's making her feel so low. I'm that guy you call in the ministry. You know how much of a wretched I am, undone, selfish. I can't get over my own self. Are you sure you're calling me into ministry? I'm good with you calling me to yourself, but you can't put me in ministry. My past, it's messed up. Folk gonna judge me, God. So yes, I know this, and here's what I'm gonna do despite you and in spite you. I'm gonna first save you. I'm gonna save you from sin, death, Satan, and yes, yourself. I know that you come from Oak Cliff, the hood. I know that's your hood. I know that's where you come from. I know you didn't take school serious coming up. I, 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 I know that. But I'm gonna use you, a, a guy from the hood who thought nothing about school, college, or seminary. I'm gonna cause you to one day get serious about school, go to college, and then get a degree in divinity. A child from the hood. At the same time, I'm gonna call this child from Oak Cliff, the hood, place him in Midlothian. <laughs> <laughs> at Stonegate and have you to experience my love, my patience, my mercy. I'm going to put you in a place for four, four years where people who are unlike you, yes, they're human, they're going to say things crazy, but when it's all said and done, son, in the grand scheme of things, you're going to experience my love and patience through them. And a place unlike you, but it's for you because they're for me in Jesus. Yeah. I'm going to also putting you a burden to plant a church unlike you in June of 2010. In 2010, God put this burden of a, of a multicultural, multi ethnic of a multi-generational church in my heart and in January of this year he produced it through my hands. Now listen, 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 listen. Here is the running joke of Omni. I show up having not said a word and when I showed up and got in the pulpit different ethnicities different cultures Different generations. Not because I'm gifted. Not because I'm so smart. It's just a display of his grace. And son, as I use young as I use Timothy for an example, people are gonna know that if I can use him, Valentine, I can definitely use you. Because he's not that gifted. He just loves me. 
and is willing to do whatever it takes for him, for God to be glorified, his people to be edified. And y'all, when we come to Omni and we see unity amongst diversity, Satan is terrified. Why? How? Because God used Stonegate. You guys would never know how much you mean to me. You, you would never know how much damage God did in my selfish and prideful heart to get me in a place where now I'm at a church on the opposite side that is one generational, monoethnic, and now God says, son, I prepared you for this, there, because I'm good like that. And what I want Omni to do, not you, but what I want Omni to do is to now love people unlike you like I love you. So change can happen. I'm here to tell you that, waste, that grace wins. That, that grace, it wins over your past. That grace is winning in your present. And for sure, grace will win in your future. I think Paul, God is using Paul as an example because if you're here this morning and you feel like you've outseen God's grace, you're wrong. If you feel like your past mistakes are too bad and, and that your present situation is too messy and God has no desire of using you, can I inform you that, that you're wrong? If you are here and you feel like God would never want you for any reason, oh, my brother and sister, listen, listen. God makes it a habit of picking unwise people, of picking foolish people, of picking the weak and wretched, the low and despised in the world, the nothings of the world simply to bring to nothing things that are by his amazing and winning grace. If you are an unbeliever, he wants to save you by grace through faith. If you are a believer here today, he wants you to grow in this grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. What should I do or say in response? His grace wins. It's won me to himself, that is. It's, it's won in saving me. It's won in putting me in his service, making an enemy, and then enlisting him to join his army to advance his kingdom. What should I do? What should I say in response? You don't have to think about it. Paul tells you, give praise to God. To the king of ages, immortal and invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever, Paul says, amen. I say the first one, that's for the father. To the king of ages, immortal and invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever, that's for the son. To the king of ages. Immortal and invisible, the only God, the glory and honor 
And amen, that's for the spirit. Now for your own hearts, to the king of ages, immortal and invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Jesus, you come, you came. The Bible says that you came full of grace and you came full of truth. And verse 16 of John chapter 1, it says that we may grow from grace to grace. But Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 8, that we are to grow in this, in this grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Father, right now we come humbled by your grace needing your grace and realizing that your grace, it wins. No matter my past, no matter my situation, your grace, it wins. Your unmerited love for me, despite me, it wins because of you. And I'm able to realize this in Jesus Christ. Your grace, it wins. I'm free. If you can save John Newton and use him, if you can save Saul and make him Paul, who can you not use? Father, I pray that in this room that we would hear over and over it through Jesus, my grace wins. It wins. Stop fighting, stop running. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. His grace is abounding with faith and love. It wins. It wins because it comes from God. And it flows to those who don't deserve it. And yet benefit from his eternal goodness. Daddy, we love you and we thank you. Mark us. Mark our mind. Mark our hearts. Mark our soul. And mark our bodies. Impress in us your grace. It's amazing. And it wins. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.